This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, so uh, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we pray as we always do. It is only because you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are open that we can really understand the person of Jesus and respond correctly. So we pray today that indeed you will help us to understand Mark chapter 7 and to really uh, be struck in the heart by it. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, there's a person I know who's really uh, notorious. He's rude, he's selfish, he's unfriendly, and he's aggressive. But this person, Chuck Horror, calls himself a Christian. And uh, this person is very serious about evangelism, so much so that he goes to uh, notice boards and he takes down other people's notices and then he puts down evangelistic notices from his own church. And when people tell him not to do that, he says to them, "If you, for every poster that you take down, I'll put up two. Right? And I'll glue the lock so you can't open it. So how do we uh, kind of understand that, right? How do we understand a person who seemingly is not a very nice person, but yet is very interested in doing Christian things, so to speak? So I remember somebody in our church was telling me not a while, not too long ago, about how they had a boss or a colleague who goes around telling everybody in the office that they go to church and, you know, they went to church on Sunday, but then they tell lies uh, in the office very blatantly in order to get ahead or to smear other people's reputation. Or maybe the Christian who goes to seminars but uh, can't keep their temper and abuses their wife or husband or children. Oh, I remember quite a while ago, I saw this article in the newspaper about how there were these two friends who used to attend the same church uh, but ended up uh, murdering uh, each other. Right? How do you understand people like that? Or are we like that? So today, as we come to Mark chapter 7, it kind of deals, I believe, with this particular issue. So as we come to Mark chapter 7, it's been very clear as we've been going along that Jesus is both God and Christ. He's been teaching with great wisdom and authority. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing all the sick. He's been forgiving sins. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He overcomes Satan. And last week we saw that he did two even greater miracles. Right? He fed the 5,000 men and innumerable women and children from just five loaves and to fish. And after that, he said something even just as great. He walked on water. So I've been cheating, teaching the children's church while I've been preaching here. And there's this song that, you know, has kind of like been this earworm in my ear. And it goes a bit like this. I'm going to sing it. But it says, you know, he must be God if he did that. How cool is that? Now, fortunately, as we've been going through the book of Mark, uh, there's been a group of people who haven't thought that Jesus has been very cool. In fact, they think that Jesus is not cool at all. And these are the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They couldn't explain how Jesus healed or did miracles or cast out demons, but they were very, very unhappy with Jesus. And they were very unhappy because they were not, uh, he was not doing things according to expectations. So, if you remember back, they accused him, uh, A, of eating with sinners. And then he was not fasting. And then he was breaking the Sabbath. So today is the ongoing conflict between Jesus on one hand and 
the religious teachers, the Pharisees. So, it begins in chapter 7, verse 1. <clears throat> the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who have come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of their elders. When they come to the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettle. Well, here we see that the big shots come from Jerusalem, and they're not here to find out about Jesus, but really to pick fault on Jesus. And they don't have to wait very long, because they see Jesus and his disciples eating hands, with hands which are unwashed. Now, it's not as if uh, the Pharisees were very worried about hygiene, right? It's not as if, like, they were worried that Jesus and his disciples would get COVID-19, or somehow they got food poisoning because, you know, the food store was rated C instead of A and B. But rather, they were worried about it from a religious point of view. Because, you know, today, with COVID-19 around, when you wash your hands, how long are you supposed to wash it for? 20 seconds! Why is the only person who pays attention to the government and things, right? You're supposed to wash your hands for 20 seconds, and she is quite a long time, right? But actually, for the religious teachers, the Pharisees, when they wash their hands, they only wash for how long? Two seconds. Actually, I won't do it because it's for the table. I will be kicked out here, right? But you know, they just get a little bit of pour their hands, two seconds, right? So they actually, they weren't interested of washing hands because of hygiene, but because of religious reasons. Now, God in the Bible, in the Old Testament, had said in Exodus chapter 30, verse 19, then the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze basin, and with his bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting an offering made to the, God, to the Lord by fire, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. Now, as we look at this passage, who, when, and what is to be washed? Who is only the priest, Aaron and his descendants? When is when they enter the tent of meeting into the presence of God? And what are they to wash? Their hands and their feet. But then by the time of Jesus, uh, the religious teachers, the Pharisees had decided that everybody washes all the time, and not just your hands, but also your plates, your kettles, your jugs, and everything else. But how did this come about? Why, why did this situation come about? Well, basically God had given his word or his law, right? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had decided to create a safety margin, like a ring fence. Uh, so basically, uh, if you look at the next slide, they would expand on God's law and make it broader, wider, and more applicable to a lot of different people. So they would expand by using traditions. And these traditions uh, basically were what was traditionally called the Mishnah. So you can see here in the picture. So the Mishnah was like this body of key traditions which would be kind of like uh, supplementary to the God's word. So, not too long ago, I went to uh, the Guardian in Colvin, and uh, you know what I was doing in the Guardian? Trying to buy some face masks. Uh, right? Even though I'm not sick, I'm trying to buy face masks. Okay, anyway, so uh, I'm there, and, and amazingly, 
Guardian at the time had face masks limited to like five per person. So in front of me were this uh, lady, the mother, and the daughter. So the daughter said to the mother, Hey, mom, hey, why do you want to buy so much face masks? We have so many at home already. Right? Then the mother said, Just in case. And that's exactly the attitude that the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, had, right? Because God has said only the priests, when they enter into the tent of meeting, need to wash their hands and their feet. But the priests, sorry, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, said, just in case, right? Everybody needs to wash their hands all the time. And not just your hands, just in case, you also need to wash your plates, your kettles, and your jugs. So the Mishnah, or the tradition, grew and grew and grew until, next slide, they had 35 pages of rules for washing hands, right? And washing your plates, washing your cups and kettles. So when they saw Jesus and his disciples eating with hands which are unwashed, they didn't care how great miracles Jesus did. They didn't care whether he was God. They didn't care it was Christ. He was breaking the rules. He was breaking the traditions. And this was just one of many rules and traditions that Jesus was breaking. Right? So, eat with sinners. They fail. Fasting. Fail. Do not keep the Sabbath. Fail. And then finally now, Tira. Go wash your hands before you eat. So in verse 6, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their rules are merely human rules. Their teachings are merely human rules. Now, as a friend who used to say to me, uh, sometimes when I talk to him, when we're joking around, he says, you know, that's fighting words, right? Uh, so that's what Jesus is doing, right? I mean, he's, he's using very fighting words with uh, the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He's calling them hypocrites. Now, hypocrites, uh, in the ancient uh, Greek understanding, if you look at this picture, <coughs> basically is the word for the actor. Okay, he's, he's wearing a mask. And he's saying that that's what the religious teachers, Pharisees are like. They are like hypocrites. They're just wearing a mask. They're actors. They're giving, and what it says there in verse... Six, they are just giving lip service, but actually the heart inside is far from God. Now, these are very serious accusations, and the reason why he says that, he continues on in quoting Isaiah, is he says three times, right? You are hypocrites, you are just giving lip service because inside you are following your own hearts. Why? Because in verse 8, you have... Let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to the traditions of men. You're fine with setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And verse 13, you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you handed down and you do many things like that. Now why does Jesus say that? Because these are very serious accusations. He's saying, look, you just pretend, pretend only. Pretend to worship God, but actually you're only following human rules. So he gives this illustration from their own uh, tradition. So what's the fifth commandment? You, you all don't know because we're all not Jews, right? But the fifth commandment is to honor your parents, your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord has given you. So uh, the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments says, Honor your parents. Care for your parents. Provide for your parents. 
But then at the same time, the Pharisees and teachers of the law had this thing called Corbin. Corbin is where I dedicate something to God. So you can't use it anymore for like normal secular use. So imagine if I have a, a BMW. Okay, so I say to the temple, I dedicate my BMW as Corbin to the temple. Or let's say I have a, another house I don't need. I dedicate this house to the temple as Corbin. But then one day, my parents get really sick. Something happens and they need money. Then if I then need to sell my BMW, the temple says, no, you cannot because you've already dedicated this as Corbin to God. Uh, I want to sell my house. No, you cannot because you really dedicated this house as Corbin. Now, apparently, uh, reading from the commentaries, the funny thing is, even though, though I dedicate uh, my car or my house as Corbin, uh, I can still drive it around and still live in it uh, as long as I want, like, until I actually give it to the temple, right? So, really, what, what this uh, policy of Corbin is doing is actually stopping me from giving support and honoring my parents. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying, right? Because if you look at the slide, you are nullifying the fifth commandment to honor your parents in order to follow your tradition of Corbin. But you look at your Old Testament, no such word as Corbin. Le. There is no such thing as Corbin. Corbin is just something that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law invented. We, 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 we don't follow any Corbin here, right? Because when you read the Bible, there's no such thing as Corbin. So Jesus is saying something very serious. That the following of traditions actually made the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the Jews of the day hypocrites. They were following human rules and setting aside and nullifying God's commandments and will. They were just giving lip service when inside they were disobeying God. Now this is a very important lesson for us because we too can place our traditions higher than God's word. Okay, so, um, how should the pastor dress? Okay, so, if the pastor, right, dress like this, right? Hey, wait, yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, let's ask a question. If why dress like this, right, would, would, would we listen to him more, right? Or would we respect him more? Or do we feel that the things that he says are, have more gravity, right? Or, let's say, one day, um, then we find that instead of the pastor wearing uh, his normal blue shirt, he's wearing this Hawaiian, he's wearing this Hawaiian sleeveless shirt, right? And then worst of all, right, wearing this like, this clip-on earring. Alright. Alright, so, alright, so, 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 why, why, why would we feel different about all these different ways of dressing? <clears throat> because in the Bible, actually, it doesn't say how the pastor needs to dress, right? It's just a tradition that we have in our church. And in a way, everybody has different traditions, right? Different ways of doing things. But the danger comes when the tradition actually goes against the clear teaching of God's word. So I remember when I went to Italy and Spain, uh, I would go to the, visit these marvelous churches, and in the church, the, at the entrance usually there's this huge statue 
of the Virgin Mary. And there was one statue where it says, do not kiss the feet of the Virgin Mary. And the reason was because so many people had kissed the feet of the Virgin Mary that the feet were wearing out. And the danger was that the, the statue was going to topple down. Now, the problem is, uh, where does it tell us in the Bible that we are to worship the Virgin Mary? It doesn't say anything, right? Will we be studying the book of Mark? What's the good news about? The good news of the Virgin Mary? No, right? It's the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. But here we see that tradition has grown and grown so that people actually nullifying the word of God in order to follow their tradition. Because if I'm an unbeliever, I come to that church, what is my impression of Christianity? That is the worship of the Virgin Mary and I, I need to kiss the feet of the statue of the Virgin Mary. There's some churches in Singapore which I've visited where they say, oh, you know, the only Bible you can use is the King James Version. If you bring another version, they'll be very unhappy with you. But again, where does that come from? Again, that's the tradition of the church. So I remember uh, many years ago, <clears throat> there was a lady who visited a uh, church and I happened to be there and she said to me, she said, oh, you know, I think uh, this church, the teaching is very faithful. Um, I'm very sorry, I, I can't come here. Uh, you know why? Because you, in your church, uh, you use electric guitars. And the Bible says we must only use traditional instruments. But you know why the Bible doesn't say you can use electric guitars? Because electricity wasn't invented when the Bible was written, you see. But again, where does this belief come from that my church can only use traditional instruments? It's a tradition of the church. So many years ago, I was invited to preach at a church camp, and I was talking on the parable of the sower, which we just did recently, so you all should be very familiar with the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower is actually very straightforward, right? The two soils, the soil on the shallow ground, the, the, the one on the, the thorns and thistles, right? Both of those show that people can make a pronouncement of faith, but still fall away and not produce fruit. But this guy came up to me and he says, you know, I disagree with what you're saying because when I was in university, I was taught that once, you, once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you make the profession of faith, you're always saved. But I said, brother, the teaching of the Bible is so clear here. But I said, no, 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 you're wrong, right? He said, no, actually, I'm not wrong. It's the Bible that you're saying is wrong. But because you have been taught this tradition, then you're actually following something that the Bible doesn't say. So for us, as we look at this passage, we must be careful to evaluate our traditions and ask ourselves, do these traditions nullify the words of God? Do we let go of the word of God in order to keep our traditions? Because if not, then truly the words of Isaiah apply to us. Right? We are hypocrites. On the outside, we're giving lip service to following God, but actually we are following our own human traditions. Now in verse 14, Jesus continues on. He says, And again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going to them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. 
He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. But it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, again, as we look at this passage, uh, Jesus is looking at the situation of the washing hands controversy, the conflict. And he gives a one-line parable, right? Okay, what's the parable? It's up on the slide, it says, nothing outside a person can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. See, for the Pharisees, for them, uncleanness was outside in. Right? What you wash, what you eat, it's the outside in that's a problem. Jesus actually, that's the wrong way of looking at it. Uncleanness comes from the inside out. Because, see, the Pharisees were very interested in the washing of hands, washing the plates, wash the bottle, wash the cup, what they eat on the outside. And apparently, um, uh, in history, there was this rabbi guy, and he was captured by the Romans. Okay, so he's in the Roman prison. And you know what? He nearly died. You know why he nearly died? Because he was dehydrated. Because, you know, he spent all his water washing his hands, the cups and plates, until he got no more water to drink, you see. So they take this outside washing thing very seriously. But Jesus says, actually, at the end of the day, it is not what outside causes you to be unclean, but what is in the heart. So he uses a very, in a sense, a vulgar illustration, right? He says, uh, next slide. Oh, okay, no, don't, next one, yep. So he says, you see, you eat. Okay, then what happens after you eat? Goes into your stomach. And after it goes to your stomach, what happens? You poop it out, right? So he's saying, look, how then can what is outside make you unclean? Because, you know, it goes in you, it comes out anyway. But more importantly, it doesn't touch your heart, right? It, it, like, it goes through your gastro system or whatever, and then comes out. It doesn't actually go through the heart, then come out, right? But he says, actually, the problem is the heart. Because the heart is like your, a tap or a spring, a well spring in your body, right? And out of the heart comes all these evil thoughts. So you notice Jesus is talking about evil actions. It's evil thoughts as well and attitude. So there's greed. Envy, lies and slander, malice, sexual immorality. These are all the thoughts and attitudes that we have. And so he's really saying to the Pharisees, the outside is very important, right? The, the mask, the washing hands, the washing of the cups, uh, fasting. But what God is really interested in is your heart. So for ourselves... Uh, what are we focused on? Are we more focused on the outside? Or are we more focused on our heart? Because if we're focused on our heart, then we should be putting all our energies on thinking, stopping things like sexual immorality or theft or murder or adultery or being greedy or having malice. You know what malice is? It's I, I have ill will, ill intention to other people. Or deceit, telling lies to people. Or lewdness, immoral behavior, or envy. You know, I'm envious, I'm jealous of other people. Slander, saying bad things about others. Or being arrogant, or being foolish. See, Jesus says, these are the things that you should pour your energies into, not just washing hands and washing cups. 
So in the introduction today, I said, you know, why are there some Christians like that? Uh, like the guy who everybody knows is a really un, unpleasant person, very rude and aggressive, but he's very interested in putting out evangelistic posters. Why is it that people who tell everybody at their workplace, I'll go to church, but then they tell lies at church? Or why are there people who go to seminars but are very uh, uh, um, aggressive and, and angry to their own children and family? It's because they're only interested on the outside, but they're not really dealing with the inside, which is what Jesus says is the more important thing. So fundamentally, I think, on the next slide, oh, that's right, this is, yep, that there's this thing called churchianity. Right? So I'm more, churchianity is where I just come to church, I listen, I pray, I sing, I do all the good things on the outside. But actually the inside is untouched. My heart is untouched. I don't deal with the issues that God is interested in. Uh, the malice, the envy, the greed, the theft, the hate, the murder, foolishness. And I think that this explains, I think, the problem with the Pharisees and the religious teachers. The problem is the problem of religion. Because when all I have to do is wash my hands and wash my plates and cups before I eat, and I fast at the right time, uh, I keep the Sabbath, then I have this mistaken impression that actually I'm a pretty, pretty good person. I, I'm very self-righteous. Because, you know, I wash my hands what? before I eat. I go to church every Sunday. I go to Bible study. I can answer all the right answers. I, uh, I go to church camp. I go to seminars. Hey, I'm, I'm pretty good, right? But actually, what Jesus is saying here <clears throat> is that if the problem comes from the inside out, then, actually, no matter how hard I try to, to curb my anger, to curb my greed, to curb, curb my malice, to curb my slander of other people, I will still fail. Because my heart is like a wellspring, right? And instead of giving out clean water, it's polluted water. But the good thing is, because Jesus points me to the problem, then I realize that I'm a sinner, and therefore I look to Jesus for forgiveness. So if you remember back in chapter 2, they brought Jesus, a paralyzed man, right? The man couldn't move. Now from our perspective, we would say that this man's greatest need is physical healing, right? You know, he needs to be healed so he can walk again. But Jesus looks at the man and he sees his greatest need as forgiveness. The heart problem. And that's where religion fails us. Because religion fools us into thinking that we are good people, but actually Jesus says when you look at your heart, you actually recognize that you are a bad person. And all the more you need to follow Jesus. So, uh, the next slide. So one of the dangers is, if you think you are religious, then actually... You may think that you're a good person, but actually you're destined for judgment. But what is really important, if we see our heart as it really is, is a relationship with Jesus, to follow Jesus. Because it is only through following Jesus in a relationship with Jesus that we receive this forgiveness to deal with this heart problem. So, in conclusion, imagine um, you're pretty young and healthy, but Touch wood, right? 
nothing happens to you. But one day you're looking at your skin, hey, oh, this mole, uh, looking very red, and it's growing. So, you ignore it for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but then it keeps growing and growing, right? So you decide to go see a doctor. Your doctor looks at you. He says, you better go see a specialist. So you see the specialist. specialist sends you for all the tests. And he says, uh, I've got bad news for you. you got skin cancer. It's a melanoma. So the doctor says, oh, you know, it's very serious. So you see the doctor, okay, what do I need to do, right? What do I need to do? Then he hands you a plaster. And so, put it over the mole. How does that solve anything? You just put the plaster over the mole, but the, the cancer is still there, right? And I think that's the problem with uh, tradition and religion. It's like putting over the plaster over the real problem. You think you're doing all these good things. I'm washing. I'm keeping this uh, law about fasting. I'm keeping this law about the Sabbath. I'm coming to church on Sunday. I'm doing my Bible study. I understand the Bible study. I'm writing it all the right answers, but you're just making yourself feel good. You're not really dealing with the problem. Jesus, the problem is the heart. All these things that flow from the heart, and they're not actions, okay? It's not as if you murder someone. I don't think anybody here murder anybody, right? But in our heart, we can be very, very angry at people up to uh, wanting to murder them. Actually, I was, I was very shocked at my Bible study on Sunday. One of the meekest, mildest People in our church said they, they felt like strangling their boss or something. I was like shocked, right? You won't believe me when I tell you who this person is now. Okay? So all of us, right, struggle with this heart issue of, of, of hate and anger. But thank God we have Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who deals with our heart problem. He is the one who is able to give us. So as we come here today, right, make sure that you understand why we're here. We're not here to practice churchianity. We're not here to practice religion. We're here, follow Jesus, to be focused on what is really important, the inside, the heart, and to have a relationship with Jesus. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, I help us to see that uh, we're not here to practice uh, churchianity or religion, but truly as we come here, we are here to hear of Jesus. We're here to hear of the good news of Jesus who saves us by bringing us forgiveness. Help us not to be hypocrites, to put on the act, put on the mask, where we just try to uh, pretend that we're good people without really dealing with uh, the real issues of the heart. Uh, but dear Father, we know that we will fail. We know that uh, no matter how, we try, how hard we try, the heart is sinful. And therefore we are able to give thanks to you because we have the peace that knows that Jesus has paid for all those sinful thoughts and sinful attitudes. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.